Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our, our morning service, whether you're here in the building or you're watching online. And a particularly warm welcome to you if you're a, a visitor or a newcomer here for the first time. Great to have you. Do please stay behind for some refreshments afterwards. It'd be great to spend some time chatting over a cup of coffee. Well, if you're a regular worshipper here, um, you'll probably have heard the sad news that uh, the Christians of Sport Camp at Repton this past week, uh, when Nathan and Lisa were among the leaders and uh, five of our young people were attending. Uh, a teenage girl was, uh, was taken ill and tragically died in hospital that same evening. As a result, a decision was taken to end the camp early. Um, as far as I'm aware, she trusted in Jesus Christ and uh, we can therefore take great comfort from knowing that uh, she's gone to be with him. Uh, but our hearts go out to her family and to all those who were affected by her death. Sad events like this remind us of our human frailty, and that each day we have is a gift from God that we should use wisely and not take for granted. These situations also challenge us as to where we've, we've put our trust, where we find our security. Is it a vague hope that life will somehow be okay? Is it trying in our own strength to be good enough for God? Or is it a confident trust in Jesus Christ, in who he is and what he has done for us? The fact that he died for our sakes so that we can be forgiven, that he rose again and conquered death so we can be made right with God and no longer need to fear death because we have the promise of eternal life with him. Psalm 62 says, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. And in 1 Peter 1, it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the victory that Christ has won over death, and for the living hope that we have through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that there is a wonderful inheritance kept in heaven for those who put their trust in him. We may not have known this young person personally, but we are saddened by the news of her death. We pray for her family and her friends in their grief, that they would know your comfort and your strength at this very difficult time for them. And we pray for the young people on the camp who have been affected by her death, that they too would find rest and hope in you. Pray for Nathan and Lisa and the the Christians and sport leaders, as they process what has happened, that you would grant them wisdom in any decisions that they need to take. And we thank you that we can come to you with our fears and our grief, and that in your mercy you promise to give us rest, eternal rest. So as we worship you this morning, we pray you would reassure us with the wonderful news of the hope we have in Jesus, and you would enable us to keep our eyes fixed on him. Father God, we thank you for all that we've learnt about you through 
this sermon series on the story of Joseph, how his life pointed to the life of the true saviour, Jesus Christ. Thank you that it was by your deliberate plan that Jesus was put to death. And that by raising him to life, you confirmed that his sacrifice for our sins was acceptable to you and made it possible for us to be reconciled to you. We thank you for the work you're continuing to do in our lives as you prepare us for eternity by making us more like Jesus. We're sorry where we've let you down this past week in what we've said or done, where we've been angry or impatient, where we've been discouraging with our words instead of encouraging, where we've been harsh instead of gentle, where we've not exercised self-control, where we've been more worried about what others think of us instead of seeking to please you, where we put our own interests first before those of others. For these and all our sins, we ask that you would forgive us. Father, we thank you for this church family, for every person in it. Thank you for the, the diversity we enjoy in terms of ethnic and social background, as well as our different ages, personalities, experiences, and family situations. Thank you for the wonderful unity that we have in Jesus Christ. And for the desire you've given us to serve one another and help each other grow in our faith. We pray you would protect our unity. We pray you would give us a greater desire to use the gifts you've given us for the benefit of others and for your glory. And we pray for those in the church at this time who need particular strength and encouragement, maybe because of physical or mental health issues or other concerns. Lord, come close to them, we pray. Pray for our young people, for, for those who received their A-level results last week, those who are anxiously awaiting their GCSE results this week. Lord, we rejoice with those who are pleased with their results, and we empathize with those who may feel disappointed. But whatever their situation, Lord, we pray that they would know the greatest joy comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ, and knowing the presence and strength of his Spirit with us each day. Pray for those who are currently on holiday that they will get the rest and refreshment they need. And pray for those in the workplace that you would enable them to do their work with integrity, to work at it with all their heart as working for the Lord, not for human bosses. And help them in their relationship with their colleagues to, to show compassion for those who are struggling, self-control with those who are difficult. We pray you would grant them opportunities to share their faith and the courage to use those opportunities. Father, we pray for our missionaries overseas and lift up to you specifically this morning, Stephen Matilda Smith. Thank you for providing for their needs whilst they're currently in Canada. For the use of a car, for the encouragement of a visit from their daughter Esther and her family before they returned to Papua New Guinea last week. Thank you for ensuring the completion of the, the Tazig New Testament. And we do pray that as it is distributed amongst uh, Tazic speakers, that it will bear fruit in the lives of many people. We pray you would grant Steve energy and stamina in his current work on the typesetting of the Sucker New Testament. Pray for good communication with the team leader. 
And we pray the same for Matilda. She seeks to support the team members in South Asia. Finally, we pray for Hannah as she comes to, to read your word for us shortly, for Colin as he opens it up, and for all of us that you would enable us to hear you speak to us and enable us to respond with lives of gratitude and obedience to what you say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Hannah's now going to bring us our reading from Genesis 50. We'll then sing again before Colin comes up to preach. Uh, This morning's reading is from Genesis chapter 50. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I've had found favour in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, My father made me swear an oath and said, I'm about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad, near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, The Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why that place near the Jordan is called Abel Mitzraim. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abram had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt, along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, 
the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. If you have a Bible, please do keep it open. We'll be referring to chapters 48, 49, and 50 of Genesis. Um, So please do keep that open. Let's pray as we come to God's word together. Father God, we pray that you would help us to have minds which are open, hearts which are soft, that we would receive your word, that we would live in light of your truth, and be transformed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Recently, I was uh, chatting to a lady about her journey down to to Weymouth. Uh, She said she was using her car's sat-nav to get there, but the problem was that the car's sat-nav, well, it hadn't been updated much recently. And so instead of giving her up-to-date directions, it told her that she was driving in the middle of the English Channel and that she had to turn around. (laughs) But thankfully, she knew enough of the road to be able to get there herself. She knew how to get there because she'd done it before. And so it worked out okay in the end. Because when we think of our own lives, especially perhaps in times of suffering, in times of trouble or, or tragedy, we may ask that question, where are we going? Where are we going? And where is God in all of it? Maybe in times of mental health battles or perhaps our own personal financial challenges or relationship breakdown or when someone we know passes away or perhaps in major health concerns, we may ask that question, Where are we going? And where's God in all of it? Well, if you ever ponder that question, uh, then please do follow along with me as we conclude our study in the book of Genesis, uh, looking at the life of Joseph. As we'll learn many things from it, we'll learn that God is sovereign, that he is in control of everything in our lives. And we know that because God is at work for our good and his glory. We'll see that God is at work for our good and his glory. We'll see that, uh, firstly, that first strand of that as we trust that God has a plan. We trust that God has a plan. So far in the story of Joseph, we've seen that God provides food both for Joseph's family and for the Egyptians in this great famine. Then in chapter 48, in hearing of Jacob's uh, ill health, uh, Joseph presents his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to his father to receive their inheritance and their blessing from him. And we see from verse 3 by what authority Jacob speaks. Uh, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. So Jacob here, he's not speaking just as a father, but when he meets with God, God speaks to him, and he therefore speaks as a prophet of God. 
As in verse 4, God appeared to him and, and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give you this land an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Through Jacob, God promises to Joseph and his descendants that they will not only be fruitful, but that they will receive an everlasting inheritance. That they will ultimately inherit the land of Canaan. And the land is connected with God's blessing, as God's presence is known with God's people in God's place, the place of Canaan. But there is another inheritance that we look forward to today as believers. As Neil mentioned it in the opening part of the service today, in 1 Peter it says that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That is our greatest inheritance as Christians today. It's not a a family home. It's not a a nice car. It's not jewelry from the family. But it is heaven. And God has kept it for you. Like a present at Christmas waiting to be unwrapped. It is sitting waiting for you. God our Father keeps it for you. And so there is a clear and an eternal plan. But as we think of Israel also known as Jacob. He takes uh, the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and declares them his own. It might seem to us a little bit strange, but this is a mark of honor and respect. As Joseph, well, he wants them to be blessed by Israel. But Israel, he surprises Joseph, and instead of blessing Manasseh, the firstborn, he blesses Ephraim, the younger one. And so we see later in chapter 48, Joseph's response In verse 17, as Joseph said to him, to to Israel, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. On first appearances, it looks like Jacob or Israel is just looking for an argument, (laughs) looking for a fight. But actually, he is doing what God has called him to do. As he places his hand on Ephraim and not on Manasseh to display God's sovereign plan. As ultimately, God shows his grace to whomever he pleases. It might look like it's one way, but God does it a very different way. Because he is sovereign. He is in control of everything. It's God's sovereign grace. But Joseph, he doesn't see that. And so he kicks against Israel. And yet God's grace is not to be distorted, manipulated, or or fought against. It's not to be controlled. As the point of the grace of God is that it is God's unmerited favor. If we think that we deserve the grace of God, then we don't know who God is. Because all of our lives are a gift of grace. A free gift from the hand of God, our Father. We can trust him as Jacob did, as it says in Hebrews 11. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. As just like Jacob, we live by faith and not by sight. So whatever tomorrow may bring, be it good times or difficult times, we know that we can trust that God has a plan. He is in control. Whatever may come, God is in control. 
Uh, recently, at my, at my wedding, I said to uh, one of my bridesmaids, had a, a chat with one of them, and, and said, uh, are, you, uh, are you thinking of getting married to the guy that you're, you're dating at the moment? To which she said, come on, I'm only 29. <laughs> and I said, I wanted to be married at 29. And here I am at 38, now 39, ju- only just married. And really, when I, when I think about it, when I reflect upon it, I, I really do feel for a lot of uh, single people, especially single women, as there's lots of you, but not very many Christian men, especially those who are willing to step up and take responsibility to lead in love and sacrifice. But surely that must be our calling as men, as godly men, to lead in that way, to lead in sacrifice, to step up and lead. But whether we're, whether we're married, single, or maybe even widowed, we must remember that, that marriage, it is not a right, but it is a gift. Marriage is a gift. It is a, a gift of grace from the hand of God, our Father. And so there, there might be true tears that are shed because of the things that we have hope for. Maybe hopes with marriage. Maybe hopes with career. Maybe hopes regarding children or with finance or with our health. But the most important thing that we must remember, whatever our age and stage we are in in life, is to trust God whatever we are. To trust him. Whatever that might mean. Will you trust the Lord with your life in every season and stage of it? Will you give him your heart in prayer to trust him and to obey him whatever that might mean because god is at work in our life for our good and his glory as we trust that firstly that god has a plan and secondly we are stunned by god's grace once uh, israel blesses joseph's sons he then calls for his own As he says to them in chapter 49, verse 1, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. The phrase days to come, it is like a prophet speaking, foretelling the future. So again, he's not speaking as a father, but as a prophet of God. And so he first addresses his son Reuben from verse 3 to 4, and then goes on to speak about Simeon and Levi from verse 5 to 7. Reuben is the firstborn, so again, you would expect that he would receive the blessing. And initially, that appears to be how it goes, because Jacob describes Reuben. He speaks of him as someone who has strength, excelling in honor and power. But then he goes on to say, you will no longer excel because you defiled your father's bed. Jacob's referring to the time when Reuben slept with his father's concubine in Genesis 35. What is a really, truly wicked act. And then he turns to Simeon and Levi. And then he describes them as really men of violence, men of anger and death. They bring killing. Again, he's referring to an earlier episode in Genesis 34, the the slaughter and genocide of the Shechemites in Genesis 34. And so he will not bless his sons. He will not bless them, nor them, nor their descendants. Because whilst God is a God of grace, he is also just. Because he hates sin. 
and wickedness. And we see that everywhere today, don't we? Recently in the news, there's a story of this, this nurse who's supposedly uh, supposed to have cared for these vulnerable babies, yet seems to have taken pleasure in taking their lives. Does that not make God angry? Is he not furious with the wickedness of humanity? Of course he is, because God hates sin. God hates it and punishes all those in an eternal punishment who do not repent of their sin, who do not repent of wickedness and turn to him. We don't need to be someone who kills babies to be under the wrath of God. We just need to reject him for who he is as Lord of our lives. And so he, Jacob, he doesn't let his, his, uh, these uh, sons off easily, but instead he curses them. And so in, in that light, as you look at Judah in verse 8, you would expect him to be treated the very same way. Because in Genesis 38, he treats Tamar in a truly wicked way. And then he's the one that, he's the one that leads his brothers in selling Joseph into slavery as well. He was a man of manipulation and violence, just like his brothers. But the difference is that God is at work in his heart. As Judah doesn't get what he justly deserves. Instead, he receives grace. That's where Judah, he led in selling Joseph into slavery. He then volunteered to substitute his life for that of his brother, Benjamin. Because God changed his heart by his grace. The stunning grace of God to make a wicked man righteous. Judah is is chosen by God, not, not, not because he's any better than his brothers, he is not, but simply by the sovereign grace of God. He's chosen not by his efforts, but by God who has mercy. It's like that scene really in, in uh, Les Mis or Les Miserables, if you've seen it, where Jean Valjean, he, he steals some silver and then he's caught and brought back to the house. But instead of punishing him, the priest stuns him with mercy and gives him this candlestick holders as well. Where he deserves punishment and justice, he receives mercy. He receives grace. As Judah, he trusts in God, who is truly compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. It is the grace of God that stuns Judah and should amaze us as well. Because Judah's blessings all point to the coming king. <clears throat> as J uh, Jacob pronounces a blessing over Judah, saying that your brothers will praise you. You will have authority with your hand on the neck of your enemies. Your brothers will bow down to you. You will be like a lion displaying power and you will have a scepter displaying kingly authority as it this all points to the true lion of judah the one who has all authority majesty and power because jesus is the lion of judah he is the king and yet his reign will not be one where he abuses his power but he comes on a donkey as a servant humble king he will bring blessing in abundance, symbolized with his robes washed in, in wine. 
And we know that as we think of, of Jesus who turns water into wine and brings abundance. He saves the very best to last. Jesus, as the Lion of Judah, he offers redemption to buy us back from our sins and full forgiveness as he lays down his life for us. Not because we deserve it in any way, but simply by his grace. The free gift of God's grace in Jesus. Because God is at work for our good and his glory, as we trust that God has a plan, as we're stunned by God's grace, and lastly, as we are reassured by God's purposes. Throughout Jacob's life, he continually asked to be buried alongside his father Abraham and Isaac in Canaan. It's repeated from throughout the last chapters of Genesis. And so finally, when it comes to it, Joseph and his brothers will they honor that, as we're told in verse 12 and 13. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him. Because Jacob, well, why is this significant? Jacob knows really where he belongs. The place where God promised to dwell. And the same was true for Joseph too. as He chose his sons um, to be blessed by Israel. Showing that he didn't want to identify with Egypt. But he wanted to identify with his father. And all those attached to the land of Canaan. Because Egypt was not their home. Canaan was. In the same way perhaps for us today. This world is not our own. We don't really belong here. We're not citizens of the world, but citizens of heaven. And so if we are those citizens, if we live for heaven, then what shape should our lives take? How would your life change if that was really true of you to live for eternity? How would you spend your money? How would you manage your time? How would you treat other people? How would you use your body? Because we live in the world, but we don't live for the world. As C.S. Lewis once said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Are you living for heaven? Is that true of you? Or are you living for the here and now? After burying their father in Canaan, well, Joseph's brothers, they, they return to Egypt and they're, they're overcome with fear because they think that Joseph, well, he might seek revenge for how badly they have treated him in the past. But then Joseph says to them these very famous words in Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is, be, is now being done, the saving of many lives. Because despite their wicked actions, God used what was evil for the good of his people. Only in looking back could Joseph see God's hand, God's providence in his life. As something that was intended for evil was used for great good by a good God. Because Despite the many hard years Joseph had been through, 
he could see God's hand in his life because he used it to save many from the famine. Perhaps maybe in our own lives, when we don't know why things happen the way that they do in our world, in our own personal lives, we're not sure exactly why they happen. We live in a fallen world and we do grieve in times of suffering, in times of pain, in times of death. We think of Jesus. Even Jesus broke down at the tomb of Lazarus. But in the mystery of the providence of God, we can be reassured that God is at work in our lives. Even in the tragedies, he is at work. There is a reason for everything happening in our world and in our lives. It is not meaningless. And we know that because we've seen that and see that supremely in the Lord Jesus. As the Apostle Peter says to the crowd in Jerusalem of Jesus, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's where Joseph asks his brothers, am I in the place of God? To forgive sins, Jesus says in the Gospels to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. As Jesus died to bear our sin and was raised from the dead in victory over death. Because when we think about it, even actually the Egyptians, well, they believed in the afterlife too because they embalmed the bodies. And so too did Joseph, as we're told at the end of chapter 50. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. The Egyptians, they were waiting for some kind of afterlife. But Joseph, he was waiting for the resurrection day. The day when all things would be restored and made new. When it comes to... When we think of forgiveness, thinking of the life of Joseph and his brothers, well, some of us may have been, we may have been sinned against in small ways or in substantial ways. And there's always the temptation, isn't there, to, to bring that person to our mind, to, to bear a grudge, to hold that against them. But for other of us, maybe the question is just like Joseph's brother, or their brothers, his brothers, I should say, that question is, can I really be forgiven? I mean, truly, can I truly, really be forgiven? Is that true for me? Can I really know the forgiveness of God? Recently, on Friday night, I went to see, uh, I went to see a film, uh, Barbie. The new Barbie film with my wife. Yeah, sacrificial service. <laughs> it's not actually that bad. Uh, lots of funny moments. Lots of funny moments. Lots of interesting points. Interesting points. But the other film that's, that's in the movies right now is the film called Oppenheimer. 
Now, Oppenheimer was an American physicist who he invented the atomic bomb, uh, the bomb that was used in Japan uh, during World War II. And at one point in the movie, uh, at one point in the movie, as his security clearance is about to be revoked, his wife says to him, "You think because you let them tar and feather you that the world will forgive you? They won't." Because it seems that no matter what he does in his life, no matter what he tries to do to repay, he cannot get away from his guilt. As he says of himself, that he has become death, the destroyer of worlds. And yet, even for Mr. Death, even for the inventor of the atomic bomb, in light, of the resurrection, even he can have life because the resurrection brings redemption. The resurrection brings redemption. And what about you? Have you let off an atomic bomb in your life? Have you set fire to it? So much so that perhaps you're just trying to piece the fragments of it together somehow. Well, friend, if that is you, then in light of the resurrection, know the forgiveness and redemption that there is in Jesus. Or are you still tarring and feathering yourself in the guilt of the past, of your past sin? Well, the call is to humbly repent, to repent of your sin and come to the Lord Jesus to receive his forgiveness. There are consequences to our sinful actions. There are. But in Christ, we can know the true and full forgiveness that he offers. Perhaps though, you're you're maybe just struggling and feeling like you've not done enough, that you need to come begging to God, that you need to, to do more, to be better, to Work harder. Draw close to Jesus today. Repent of trying to earn God's love and simply, in light of his resurrection, receive it. Receive his forgiveness in full. In light of the resurrection, guilt, shame, and death have no hold on you. Because Jesus is alive. For our sins may be many, but his mercy is more. These are the wonderful works of God. I'm just going to spend just a few moments in prayer, thinking of forgiveness. Maybe there's someone that you need to, that you need to forgive, someone that has wronged you, and you just need to forgive them. Maybe there's someone in your life uh, that has done that, uh, has wronged you in some way, maybe recent past, maybe distant past, that you need to just forgive them in light of Christ's sacrifice. Or maybe you have to receive the forgiveness of God yourself. Maybe for the first time, or maybe for the hundredth time. Let me leave just a couple of minutes just to quietly pray where you are, to pray to God.
Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins that is ours in Jesus Christ, that he has purchased us from all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our sin, that we can receive your love and forgiveness afresh. We pray, Father, that you would help us to trust in your plans, to be amazed by your grace and be reassured by your purposes in our lives. Help us, Lord, to receive your love and that we might know that we are your children, known, loved, and forgiven in Christ. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Colin ended with that key point. Uh, the resurrection brings redemption. And if you'd like to know more about what that means, um, uh, maybe you're struggling with uh, receiving forgiveness or you're struggling with giving forgiveness to somebody else. Do you have a word with uh, Colin or myself or Sam? Very happy to speak to you about that. Uh, if you're watching online, do please uh, get in touch with us. If you'd like to pray about something that the Lord has spoken to you about this morning, uh, do please either use the prayer ministry team who will be over in this corner with the red lanyards or maybe speak to somebody next to you. Freshmen will be served, so do please stay behind for them. Great to chat and uh, encourage one another over a cup of coffee. And this evening we're back here at 6 o'clock when Saab will be preaching from Mark's Gospel on Jesus, the one who shows mercy. So do please come and join us for that. Let me close with the words um, from 1 Peter 1 with which uh, we open the service. That point to the resurrection hope that we have in Jesus. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Amen.